I think that that human part of it is really what led me to then pursue a role in community was recognizing, okay, baked into this social media is that human connection. And that's really what I love. And the other projects that we're working on were more focused on building those community experiences. And so I just figured, okay, how, how do I do this 100% of the time versus just a smaller fraction of that? Welcome to Handing Over the Passwords. It's a podcast about exploring a marketing career beyond social media. I'm your host, Randy Cerny. I'm a freelance brand strategist. I stopped offering social media as a service about a year ago. Since then, I've had many talks with others looking to transition out of social media in their day-to-day work, or maybe just dial it back a bit. There aren't a lot of resources out there about how to do this, so I created this podcast to help spotlight some real stories and practical tips to explore other paths. And if you wanna dive deeper and apply their lessons to your own career, I've created a companion workbook called Exploring a Marketing Career Beyond Social Media. You can find it on Gumroad at the link in the show notes. It's packed with practical exercises, tips, and resources to help you on your journey. In this episode, I talk with Taylor Harrington, head of community at Groove. This interview was a lot of fun for me. That's because Taylor was one of my close colleagues when I was in-house with Groove as head of marketing. Taylor's one of the first people I met who works in the relatively new field of community. If your favorite part of working in social media is the engagement and interaction aspect, I think you'll be interested in hearing more about community as a potential career path. I also saw firsthand Taylor's healthy relationship with social media. She has a great presence on her channels without spending a ton of time on it. She shares more about that approach here. I could talk to Taylor forever, so this conversation went a bit longer than the usual handing over the passwords interview but it's full of valuable practical tips and is worth a full listen. Let's get to it. Hey, Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and honored to be your first guest. Oh, I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, So tell me about your first social media job. Yeah, so I started it actually back in college. I It was my first official job, but I started as a freelancer. I was working with the author Seth Godin, who's written a number of New York Times bestsellers, including Purple Cow, This Is Marketing, Lynchpin. And I was a senior, and it was like March of that year. And I really came on knowing that he was looking for someone to join his studio, uh, which was his office. And it was a very wacky job description. So he was like, hey, why don't we start with an initial project before we say, yes, let's make this a full-time thing? And so that initial project was to help him build up his Instagram presence. So he had a very inactive Instagram. And I came on to help him make it something special. And his big thing was like, how do you do it in a way that's different than the way anyone else uses Instagram? So that was the challenge. And worked with him for several months on that. And then when I graduated in May uh, of 2019, uh, which was a few months later, joined on full-time and started doing a bunch of other social media for the Akimbo and Alt-MBA all MBA brands, which uh, were under his his work as well. So that's the the short preview into what it was like. I managed a ton of different platforms. I had so many different LinkedIn pages, so many different Facebook pages because we had so many different workshops under that umbrella. So it was a lot of a lot of pages to manage as a fresh out of college grad. So you were doing basically like across all the platforms, Instagram. Facebook, LinkedIn, all of that. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It was too many. (laughs) Did you think that you were going to try to get into social media when you were in college and you came across this or was it more of an accident? 
Yeah. So when I was earlier on in college, I feel like as an advertising student, it was very natural that one of the skills that they taught in, in class was like, hey, how do you write content that's really short and catchy? And, you know, that was a huge part of the the learning experience. And it was easy on campus to start getting jobs working with some of the brands that were nearby. For example, there was a student startup that I worked at in college um, that was called Project Vive. And it was a really cool communication device for people with disabilities. And they wanted to get their social presence up because they were heading into an Indiegogo campaign and raising money to build these devices. And so uh, I started building out their social presence. I did the same thing for a local craft studio. I helped the College of Communications at Penn State with that. So I had experience doing it in like small settings. Um, So I thought it was an easy first way in, I think, as a young human who was trying to like get their their foot into marketing, it felt like an easy way in where I had some expertise just from simply being a younger person and using social media myself. Um, I don't know that I, I, I didn't think I was going to do it full time and I didn't do it full time. It was just a part of my job. I was technically director of digital marketing, but I got to create that title myself. So as a fresh out of college grad, I'm not sure how much title, like how much that title really carries that much weight. But uh, that's, that's sort of where it started was having some experience with social media. And I think, honestly, I think Seth hired me to start working on the Instagram presence because he didn't want someone who was going to overthink it and try to do stuff that was trendy, but instead approach it with this mindset of how do we do things differently? Think outside of the box. And you know social media enough to know what's in the box. How do we do it in a way that's out outside of it? I hear that from a lot of people I've talked to that when they were first getting into social media, it was kind of the easy entry point when you studied marketing and you wanted to work in marketing. And I definitely think there's this uh, orientation towards young people and uh, wanting to test them in that first before a different sort of marketing role. When you talk about the thinking outside the box with the Instagram strategy, how did you guys go about that? What were some of the tactics you came up? Because that's a pretty fun directive or brief. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And it was definitely intimidating. Like, I didn't really, I didn't know who Seth was, um, at least well, I'd heard of his name. But of course, to realize what social presence he had on Twitter through his blog, uh, he had a lot of followers, hundreds of thousands, and then a crazy blog following. I was like, okay, no pressure. Let's figure out what to do with his Instagram now. And uh, it was funny because when you first start posting, no matter what we ended up posting, of course, people are going to start following anyway. So I can't attribute like all of the followers who were coming like, oh yeah, we were doing something so cool that everyone just wanted to follow it. They just really wanted to follow Seth. But it it all stemmed out of an idea of what does Seth do really well? He writes books and people don't typically read books on Instagram. And so we thought, how could we make that possible? So we started using like the carousels as a way to have people flip through a book. So he would make these mini books, write them. I would then design what they look like. And they had a little book cover and you would flip through and it was like four or five mini pages. And you could read a book on some sort of a topic um, that was top of mind for him. A lot of them were taking a blog post of his and then turning it into a book form. Um, And then I think like another thing that I just love doing was thinking, how do we approach this in such a human way? And I think that's where Seth and I really saw eye to eye on it too, was not just doing things out of the box, but doing it in a way that's not a performance and it's not fake and it's not um, too polished, but instead real. And so one of the things that we did was start doing Instagram lives and they were like very casual. I also think when we think back to those lives in those early days, like this was 2019, 
we weren't thinking about Instagram Lives the way that we did post-2020 or any of those live platforms. So we were doing that very casually, and it was cool because it was a way for his fans and audience to connect with him in a way that they hadn't before. He was just, a, you know, a, a guy that was on a video with me suddenly, and we're like, ah, the camera's not working, or this mic isn't working, and it was just real and honest. And so that was a cool thing to be able to give that window into his life and, and into what his work was up to at that point. Another thing I loved doing was using DMs in a fun way. So I started just seeing all of these incredible stories that people would send him in Instagram DMs. And managing that was so much fun because you learned so much about people and just would have such thoughtful messages hidden in there, gems really. And I started doing this thing where every few days I would send a few audio notes back to some of the people that were in the DMs. And it was so funny because obviously like people are like messaging for Seth. So I'm like then being this like funny in-between person being like, hello, like thank you so much for sending this to Seth. And then I would share it with Seth like, hey, this is what someone shared just so that he could get that message received since he wasn't really logged in or paying attention to his Instagram as much. Um, and it was fascinating because I would send these audio notes. It would say that Seth Godin just sent you an audio note because that's what the Instagram notification would say. And I would usually write something like, hey, it's Taylor from Seth's team. And they just had like a little, a little note under it. But sometimes if I was still writing it, people would start playing the audio note or they would just see that initial notification and think that Seth had sent them a message. So the amount of hilarious responses I would get, I remember this one time, this guy, he like responded with an audio note back and was like, Taylor, I literally screamed when I saw that Seth Godin sent me an audio note and then I realized it was you. <laughs> and it was just this like hilarious, like he didn't realize, like he was like, I, I, I felt so special. And it's not that you didn't make me feel special. You were special too. And I'm glad that I get to know you now. But it was this funny back and forth. And then his wife ended up taking his phone and being like, Taylor, I loved your audio note. And we had this back and forth. So I think that those DMs were just a really human way to show up. And not everyone is going to go through all of the DMs and respond in that way. But to send some audio notes and say like, hey, thanks so much for reading Seth's work, you know, blah, 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 blah. If you haven't read this blog post, I think it's related to what you're thinking about these days. I was able to facilitate some of that conversation. And so that was really fun. So I think there were a few things that we did that were a little bit out of the box or at least new to me. Yeah, that is really fun. I, I love the idea of, we've talked about this a lot when we worked together at Groove, the idea of zigging when everyone else is zagging. And it sounds like that yes. was a big part of it and how you could use social media. It was a very fun way for you to be able to play around with that when you were just getting into it. Uh, and it also reminded me when you mentioned that, like, how you were using Instagram Lives and how it was different. I feel like one of the reasons I started to get away from social media is that it it used to feel a little more like a playground where you could just try things and do things and, like, it didn't mm -hmm. have to be overly polished. And it feels like with more and more time, you have to, like, show up knowing what you're doing and be super polished and, like, all these eyes are on you. And you did have a lot of eyes on you managing this um, this notable person's account. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious if you could touch on, you know, these were the more fun aspects, but when did you realize you maybe wanted to transition into something else? Or did you even actively realize that? Or was it more of a passive thing? Yeah, I think it was a lot more fun to manage Seth's Instagram than some of the other pages that we ran. So like I said, under the Akimbo umbrella, we had workshops like the marketing seminar, the podcasting workshop, the freelancers workshop, and all of those like had their own pages. And it just became a thing that was too hard to manage. And I didn't feel like I was doing it well in all of those different 
in all of those different places. Um, and I don't feel like they were serving people. I think that's something I learned a lot working with you was where are the people at and how are we serving them in those places? And if you're not going to serve them properly in those places, it's okay to have a page that is a presence that says like, hey, we like have a Twitter and there's a handle and people recognize it as the brand's thing, but maybe it's not super active and that's okay because it's well communicated. And we did that with Groove. And so I think that's something that I've learned working with you that like, if I could go back and do, I, I think that communicating, hey, we have a Facebook page, but it's not something that's going to be super active is okay because then it could still be used for tagging purposes and thing like that, things like that. But I was almost like trying to do too much that it wasn't, I wasn't doing it all well. And so it got to a point where I recognized that. And so I started to strip down and, and eliminate some of those pages or start sunsetting them in different ways. So like all of those individual workshop ones ended up just becoming the akimbo page. And so then people would tag it that way. And so the Facebook pages really became completely like nothing. <laughs> Whereas the LinkedIn pages, because they were workshops and people were adding them to their profiles, they sort of needed to be active. So if I could have gone back and did things differently, I would have just focused on LinkedIn because it was very relevant for people to be sharing those pages since they were right on their profiles that they took the podcasting workshop or something like that. So I think it was this moment of, I can't do everything and I need to be more specific. And so it was a re reconsideration of that. I think also it was just like changing my relationship with social media. And I know we've talked about this quite a bit, but I had this like aha moment and it happened in 2020 where I just realized I don't really like how I'm personally using social media. And I don't know that I like being on this platform, these platforms. And as someone who was logged into so many accounts, like even my Instagram, I had my personal account, I had Seth's account, I had the Alt-MBA one, the Akimbo one, I had my own personal Etsy business I was running at the time, I had like my dog's Instagram, and then I had this ridiculous pet, Not it wasn't a pet, <laughs> it was a stuffed hedgehog that I would take pictures of in funny places. So I had like nine different Instagrams that when I logged into Instagram, I then was suddenly in this world where I could get notifications for all of them. And like how overwhelming that all of those different parts of my life came together, managing my own business, managing these business, this, you know, this business for work, these accounts for work, and then my own, like my own personal ones. And I just felt like I was never off, like, because social media suddenly was something that when I went to it, it was also work and it wasn't just there for personal fun. So I read Catherine Price's book, uh, How to Break Up with Your Phone in 2020. And that started to plant seeds for how I could change my relationship with social media. So I think that was really a, a big trigger point and has now impacted my life in a lot of different ways for how I use social today. I think that you are speaking to a point where I've heard from a lot of other people too, where you it, it just becomes like too much. And I think it also has to do with how the platforms themselves changed because they all kept like adding more features to. And so if you have a social account on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, whatever, they used to kind of have one function. And then all of a sudden, Instagram was having stories, lives, posts, videos, reels, everything that's going on in the DMs now, which is like its own a whole, whole world. And so it's not even just that you're managing like more and more accounts. It's also like you, there's more and more things to manage within the accounts and within each platform. And so it does start yes. to feel like I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, this just became so much more 
time-consuming than it used to be. And when you have limited resources or or like limited resources, even being just your brain and energy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's also, like you said, things start to get better. So like, I remember even when Seth and I discovered StreamYard, which is a video platform that you can go live on and go live right into LinkedIn, we were able to get him early access into LinkedIn Live, which is like wild to even think about that LinkedIn Live wasn't something that people had access to back then. But during the pandemic is when it started to really take off. So I remember being like at home, streaming in with him, realizing that we couldn't record our lives anymore inside of the office because it was the pandemic. So suddenly to be like in Connecticut while he was in New York and we're both meeting in StreamYard. And I remember thinking how cool it was that I could take people's comments, like live comments, and put them onto the video with us. And that was a a basic function of StreamYard that they were introducing. But that just wasn't something that could happen on other platforms in that same way where you could highlight a comment like, Brandy just said, blah, 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 blah. Seth, what do you think of this question? And it was so cool at the time. And now you think like, here we are in 2023. And that just seems so old. Like it's hard to remember the days where that wasn't a thing. You go onto any LinkedIn Live, you go onto any platform and people are pulling up questions all the time and answering audiences, um, their comments, whatever. And that just didn't, didn't happen before. So I think it's like the fast pace that changes It's like things seem new and you get all excited about them. And then once again, they're changing again and things become irrelevant and needing to stay up to speed on that is crazy. And I also think it goes back to that, like Seth does a great job of asking these two questions whenever you start any project. And I I learned this from him was like, who is it for and what is it for? And I think our social media platforms have gotten so far away from that that we don't actually take the, the moment to say, okay, why do we even have this LinkedIn page? Who is this LinkedIn page for? And how is this LinkedIn page different than how we're showing up on Instagram? And is it really worth us even showing up on Instagram because our audience is actually over here on LinkedIn? And so it's like this game of trying to be in all the different places at once and keep up with the trends that's just truly impossible to handle, especially when you are someone who wears a bunch of different hats and social media isn't actually your full-time job. Yeah, there's there was definitely that period where uh, it seemed like you had to be everywhere and like optimizing on every platform. But I am starting to see a lot more companies, especially startups who who have those like smaller teams, only pick a few and try to do those ones really well, or not even do them really well, just like keep up because it's it's really difficult mm-hmm. as you say when you have a bunch of other things you're doing. It's not like social media is the only. It's not like organic social media is the only marketing tool. So. Uh, yeah, you kind of have to pick and choose now. I think it, it, you'd need like a full social team to to do it all. Yeah. Well, and I think even like what we saw together working on Groove, you had created this idea of let's go ahead and take Groove off of social. And so that was kind of a loose thing. And maybe if you want to talk a little bit more about that, I just think it was so brilliant because it was like we had these limited resources and we realized that the way that we wanted to spend our time and the way that our audience was spending their time was so specific that they were looking for a different type of content and we wanted to we wanted to focus on that um and rather than trying to be in all the different places and have this trendy content so we were really listening to who this was for responding to it with a lot of clarity of this is why we're not super active on TikTok or Twitter or whatever and communicating that very loudly and, and clearly with medium articles that supported it and messages inside of our newsletter and inside of Slack so that people understood 
oh, this is this is why Groove has made an intentional choice versus it just being like a a little desert that you approach <laughs> on Twitter and you're like, hmm, why are they not active over here? Yeah. So for anyone listening who isn't aware, Taylor and I met when we were on a te- on the team together at Groove, which is an early stage startup. And we started off doing social media with like a whole strategy and everything. And with the help of a, of a great contractor, Ash, and we realized that it was just taking up so much time and the amount of effort that you have to put in to build a following on these platforms it's it's so high now and based on like how fast we were moving and our goals it it just felt like we were spending like way too much time on it with very little in return coming back to us uh, a lot more people were coming through word of mouth um through like direct outreach and so we intentionally lined it up with the brand values and said okay we're all about like intentionally using your time so in order to do that we're going to be very transparent and not be active on social media and over time we we really framed it as a learning experience. And so over time, we did dial it back a little bit and we were a little more active on places like Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, And we even started to experiment with like TikTok again, Uh, but always with this sort of learning mindset and, oh, if it's actually effective, let's do it. Like how much, what's like sort of the MVP, like the minimum viable posting, as we like to say, of what we can do on these platforms and still get something in return. And so I think... I, I think it was always a learning uh, experiment, and but I think that more brands should be asking themselves these questions, like what do I, what what's kind of like the minimum I can be doing here, or like where does this align with like my brand values, uh, versus just like blindly going into it being like I have to be here yes. because you don't have to be there. Well, and I think it's sort of like by by being as transparent as we were on medium and in those different places to say like, hey, this is something that we're intentionally thinking about and experimenting with. Um, It almost gave us a permission slip to not post as often and to not have to feel like we were in a rush or we were were going all in on something that we weren't 100% sure on. And at the same time, if we reactivated something no one was going to come and scream at us and be like, wait, you said he would be off of social forever. Like, that's not what we said. So I think it was cool because it gave us permission slip that I don't think a lot of people are clear that they are taking. And that made us different. And we had so many groovers that reached out saying, wow, I really admire you for taking this stance. We had a couple of other small startups reach out and say, wow, I'm, you know, I'm taking something from your book and I'm going to try that over here. And that was really cool to see too, was just the um, sort of the domino effect of how it could affect other people reconsidering their relationship with their business and social media too. And I mean, we've seen, even in the Groove community, we've seen how powerful social media can be for so many people. We have, um, you know, one of our a groover who has been around for a very, very long time on the platform, LaShawn Brown, she has a, a very heavy social media presence. And it has been really helpful for her in accelerating the type of learning and teaching she does in the world. So it's it's interesting because it's like social has this, it's kind of, you're, you're trying to hold all of these different things where it can be really powerful for some people if they really know their audience and who's there and how to speak to them. But when you're in an early stage startup, the reality is, is, you don't like we're still figuring all of that out. And as you're figuring it out, you can't go all in everywhere or else you're not going to have any resources or any time. So, yeah, I find that all very interesting. And I think going back to your your question from a few minutes ago, like when I realized I wanted to transition out of this social role, 
social media was a part of my role doing director, you know, like I said, being a director of digital marketing at this company. And then when I started to look for new roles and uh, like reconsider, well, what do I, what do I want to do in this next role? Um, it was really focused on like the things I loved the most about social were the one-on-one connections, were hearing someone's story and helping them feel seen and heard inside of a DM, even if I wasn't Seth, or it was, um, you know, calling out someone's question instead of the audience. And then someone writing this whole paragraph about like, I cannot believe that you just picked my question out of all of these questions. And like helping people feel really special was, was cool. And also hearing their stories in such a public way was beautiful. Like you just feel connected to a wider world of people that like, oh, this person in India is sharing this. It's like, wow, like I'm over here in New York City and I get to be a part of their story now. And so I think that that human part of it is really what led me to then pursue a role in community was recognizing, okay, baked into this social media is that human connection. And that's really what I love. And the other projects that we're working on were more focused on building those community experiences. And so I just figured, okay, how, how do I do this 100% of the time versus just a smaller fraction of that? Community is this? Well, it feels new field, and it kind of feels like a spinoff of like guest services or or customer. Um, what's that called? Customer. What am I? Customer th- service. Yes, customer service. <laughs> guest services, customer service. Yes, <laughs> I, I had stuck in my head customer success, which I feel like is the new uh, buzzy one, which is a, whole, is a little offshoot again. But uh, but yeah, tell me about how you tell me more about how you decided to really lean into community and start that transition. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because I think that there are these moments uh, in life where you have to ask, okay, what's next? And sometimes you get the uh, the fortunate opportunity to say, okay, like, what's next? I, you know, I'm in a good place. I want to ask what's next. And other times you're forced into asking what's next. So I was laid off and I had to really decide, like, what's next for me? How do I reevaluate um, how I spend my time and what I want to do with it and the type of impact that I want to make in terms of a business with certain people, whatever that is. And I started having just so many conversations with people. And at the heart of them were like, I love humans. I, back in college, studied advertising and, like I said, in entrepreneurship and disability studies. And I tried to bring all of those things together and say, God, I, I just really love learning about people. And I love connecting with them. I love bringing them together and thinking about the intention of coming together and I remember just having one specific conversation with someone during this learning period of what what am I going to do next? And someone saying, wait, you know that like community is something that can be in a job title, right? And I was like, no. And I felt like I truly was peeling back this theater curtain and looking behind it and realizing that everyone like me had community in their title. And I was like, wait, this is where we've all been? Like, I had no idea. Um, So it really was this shift of recognizing that this is something I could be doing full time. And it really validated a lot of these soft skills that I had uh, that I was recognized for in my last job, but I felt like I could really hone in on and improve through making it my full-time thing to focus on community. Because at the end of the day, like I'm just a community human the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed and while I'm asleep. <laughs> so it's not something I turn on and suddenly I could do it for work in a way that felt so me. So I think that, you know, that's really how I started to transition was starting to meet other people who had those roles and recognizing, okay, community isn't a uh, a title that is exactly the same at every single company. It's very different at an early stage company versus a big company. Even like you said, there are other um, very ad- adjacent titles like customer success or um, whatever those different ones are that that 
even marketing sometimes covers that community aspect. But I think within marketing, a lot of people are actually talking about an audience, not a community. And I think that's like a whole other conversation we could talk about for 30 minutes. But I, I think that there's a lot in there where I realized, okay, people like me do things like this. And, uh, you know, that's a, a quote that I go back to a lot. And I think that that's um, really what I felt when I started to find people who were in the community field. We definitely could talk about audience versus community for a long time, and I don't want to go down that road, but I (laughs) do want to ask you about, there are like a lot of job descriptions that have community that are still very heavily social media related. They're really more about like the sort of what you were doing, interacting in the DMs and responding to comments. What, What do you think about that versus the sort of community that you were trying to shift more into? Yeah, I think it's interesting. So like at Groove, community is core to the product community is the product. Uh, Whereas at a lot of companies, that's not the case. And so it's funny, I was talking to a friend the other day, and she was like, yeah, I feel like my job is just really lumped in with social media and marketing and community like all in one. And I just feel like I can't do any of them great, because I'm wearing three different hats that overlap, but they're not quite the same. And I feel like that's so true is when you work on when you work at a company where community isn't the product, it's like an adjacent thing that the founders say, like, oh, this would be beneficial for these reasons. And they say they believe it. But then at the same time, it's also like, how do you weave it all together? Because if you're not going to hire just a dedicated community human who's focused on those relationships and really weaving it into the product, then I don't like it's not it, it, it it's it's different. I don't have that experience of knowing what it's like to work at a company where community isn't at the core of the product. It really wasn't my last company as well. So it's hard. I think, you know, when I when I think about it, it's not something that I would be excited to do in a future role. If I was asked to, I think I would push back on why I don't think I'm the best fit to manage social platforms and also community because I think community, if it is at the core of the product, really needs its own dedicated human that is working on that. So, yeah, it's a tough question. I think really what it points to is like the need for more specific job titles or like starting to carve up these fields a little bit more. I mean, even what, going back to what we were saying with customer success, that is quite different than uh, like normal guest services or customer service and responding to people. So getting like more niche, maybe maybe that would be something that would help. Uh, it's funny too, because if you asked me about people who I know who I think are doing like a great job on on their personal Twitter or LinkedIn related to like their professional work, you're definitely someone that comes to mind. So I think it just speaks to how you can still show up in these places. It's just about what we, we've been talking about this whole time, doing it with intention and having these these boundaries. And I, and you also have, uh, if it's okay if I share, you have like an Instagram that is your professional that like people can tag, but you don't like post there and you make it very clear there. And then your personal one is like just for you. And so I think it's cool that you have, you still manage to show up there, but like in the way that you want and it can still help your career and your goals. And uh, going off of that, are there any aspects of working in social media that you miss? Well, thank you so much for the compliments. Um, I think that one of the things that I loved about working with Seth on social was like just how cool it was to have access to cool leaders around the world that we could have conversations with. I mean, like that's a very specific uh, answer, but to be able to get on a conversation with Simon Sinek and Seth and have like a a chat was so cool. Um, So I do miss that aspect of it, of just learning from people in real time and also being able to make those conversations accessible to people from all over the world. Um, 
you know, I think that there are a lot of interesting parts about social where when I was spending more time on it, I was learning how different people use the platform in, in, in different ways. Whereas, as I said before, like I've got my 10 minutes, my 10 minutes is from like, I've got to post and scroll in 10 minutes. That's not a lot of time. So I don't feel like I spend as much time seeing how others are using the platform as much as I used to. And I do think there's sometimes a source of inspiration there of like, oh, that's interesting that so-and-so is thinking about that. I feel a little bit less um, connected to those other leaders that I was following than I am now. So that would, yeah, I guess that's probably like my my biggest thing that I miss. But at the same time, I could choose to do that now and I don't. So again, it goes back to those boundaries of like, I want my time. I want to. I want to be in control of that time more than I was before. When I was working in social, I always wished wished that there was a way to see to basically get inspiration and best practices without actually spending time on the platforms. And there are a few places now, like um, if you if people still work in social and they want this, Rachel Carton's LinkedIn bio Substack is really good. She like pulls together interviews and different examples, but it was really hard to find inspiration without just like spending a ton of time on it. And that's what they always say about TikTok, right? It's like the success to being good on TikTok is spending a lot of time on TikTok. And I'm always like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, anything newsletters is newsletters are such a great, that's such a great shout out. I have a much different relationship with newsletters now than I did before. I follow a bunch of newsletters. They all go to a specific part in my um, inbox, like in my Gmail, that I can go and have access to. I have personal ones that land in my personal inbox and then, pers- and then other ones that land in my work inbox. And I used to be better at this, but I would create like an hour long, I would call it like my learning, my learning groove. I would do it inside a groove where I would do a co-working session and spend an hour just going through some of those newsletters and learning from them. I don't do that as well now. I haven't dedicated that proper time to it in a while, uh, but I do pop into that section of my inbox and learn from there. And I do feel like you know, Kat Bellows is someone who I really um, admire, like her newsletter. I feel like she does a really great job of shouting out cool articles that I can stay in the loop with like what's going on in the community space and what are people thinking about in terms of relationships so that is an interesting yeah way of doing it I also am a part of more relevant slack slack communities for myself now so there's one called the community community that I'm a part of and I had to apply to be a part of it so it's very curated and I feel like the content that's in there is very um yeah it's very good people are, are very generous and what they share and the support that's inside of there. So I spend more time there. So even though I'm not spending time on social, I am in social spaces online. They're just more intentional and more specific for what I'm looking for. I I will say there's one more thing that I've learned about social and my personal relationship with it that's been interesting is creating Twitter lists. So instead of looking at my feed, I do, there's a list I've created for community leaders in New York City um, which is a group that I, I do love planning in-person events with as well. So it's fun because now that I have this list dedicated to the 40 or so people that have come to those events, I will click on that during my 10 minutes and see what's going on with those folks so that I feel connected to them. They're people that I actually know in real life versus just looking at an entire feed. So there's been ways to kind of hack that. Um, similar to how on Instagram, like you can do just posting to your close friends. I do that way more than I do on my general social media or on my general Instagram. Yeah, those are great tips. And looking to other people who would maybe be interested in transitioning out of directly working with social media, what advice would you give to someone who is curious about that, whether that's they're curious about working community or otherwise? Yeah, I think, you know, I think a big thing is, is 
trying to talk to people. Like I've, I've just found that I learned so much from conversations and, uh, whether it's conversations I'm a part of or recorded conversations like this, like there are just so many incredible podcasts out there where you can easily search to find people who have a title that you're curious about or some sort of experience you're curious about. And I have a a Spotify playlist uh, that I update regularly and I literally call it listen with a little ear emoji. And it's all podcasts that I find out about through a friend or inside of a newsletter or something that I want to bookmark to go back to in the future. And it's become a really cool space for me to learn about like other other people that I'm like, oh, I wonder what they're up to. And I today am focused on that in community. But I would suggest if you're trying to figure out a way to compile it, I think there's like resource overload a lot of times where you're like, wow, there are so many podcasts out there. How do I filter through which ones are the best ones? Just pick one episode of a show that seems relevant to you where someone is sharing about an experience that's interesting and bookmark it for later. You don't have to listen to it in that moment, but at least having a process for how you go back to it um, that's helpful for your brain, I think is really good. I, I have used Pocket uh, for a while now where I bookmark all these articles. And I just, I, I tweeted about this the other day because I was like, I use Pocket all the time. I have a Chrome extension. I click the check mark and I never go back into my Pocket to look at those articles. So I think I'm reevaluating my relationship with Pocket is like, that's not a place for me to keep uh, good resources because I don't actually have a practice to go back into it. But I would say if you're curious about, you know, uh, learning what else is out there in different fields that are related to social and some of the social skills that you have and the personal skills that you have, I would start bookmarking them in ways um, that you would go back to and actually use. Yeah, I think another good little hack I use sometimes for when when I come across people who have a title or have something going on professionally that I think is interesting and inspiring. I will, if they seem like they have like somewhat of a public profile, like even very low, like they, they're they active posting somewhere. I'll, this is going to sound creepy. I don't mean it creepy. I'll like see if, I'll Google them and I'll see if they have like an interview somewhere mm. or I'll like put them into the podcast app and see if they've done a podcast and then I'll like listen to that because you kind of like already know that you're interested in what they do. Uh, obviously some people don't have that, but. Yeah, for sure. No, that, I mean, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I think it, it's funny. There are just so many conversations out there. So it's one thing to get on someone's calendar and go into a 20-minute conversation. It's another thing to just be able to listen to an episode. And then if you want to reach out to that person and personally afterwards, go for it. Yeah, I love that. And if people do want to hear more about community, you've been on a ton of podcasts, so they should just search you in the podcast app. <laughs> <laughs> right. You could... You could totally spend hours just going on hikes listening to all of the podcasts. I, I One of my friends the other day was like, Taylor, I feel like you've been on a podcast tour. I'm like, yeah, unintentionally I have. <laughs> but um, it's been it's been really fun. And yeah. Yeah. That's also why I created this podcast and the workbook, which I'll uh, include a link in the show notes. But uh, it's called Exploring a Marketing Career Beyond Social Media. But it's because I had a lot of people coming to me for virtual coffee chats asking me specifically about that. And I would love to be able to talk to everyone, but obviously time is limited. So I was like, it seems like people are really interested in this. So I'm going to create like a very uh, affordable workbook. I I put it at the cost of two cups of coffee. Like, so it's essentially like getting, uh, if you were to like meet for a cup of coffee. Yeah, I love that. Uh, but yeah, it's to make these stories more 
um, more visible because I know even with like freelancing, I only felt like I could freelance when I found a podcast that did a bunch of freelancer stories. And I was like, oh, this is like something that's feasible. And I feel like working in social media is like that. Like mm-hmm. you, you're like, what do I do with this long term? And <laughs> so that's why I, I'm having people on like you to talk about that. Well, stories are just a great way to help see yourself in in something that could be possible. Like when you hear someone else's story, you're like, oh, wait, like that's something that's possible that maybe you didn't recognize or you've had all of these different blockers, whether it's imposter syndrome or fear that have taken over and you just haven't realized like, oh, if I unblocked myself from those things, I could do this too. And sometimes those small steps are like, are, are sometimes hard to figure out unless you hear tangible ways of doing that. Like, as we've talked about, like following folks, listening to different conversations that are specific around that. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's a really good advice. And I, I love the two cups of coffee thing. That's such a great way of pricing it. And it just makes it feel so much more, uh, tangible where you're like, oh yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Like I should definitely be a part of this. <laughs> uh, so Taylor, can you share with people what you're working on right now or anything you're looking forward to? Totally. Uh, I'm, I'm working on, I mean, I'm working on Groove, as I mentioned, I'm building, building the digital co-working space. Uh, for all the people who don't fit into a neat little box, uh, the people whose job titles are wacky and long and they might be a whole bunch of things. They are freelancers, they're bloggers, they're writers. They are humans who are living life differently. And they, yeah, they they wanna be in community with other people like that who don't really fit into that neat little box. So if you're curious and you're one of those types of people, check it out at www. Uh, www. Yeah, that, wow. I, I feel like WW dot sounds like so like I'm on like a suddenly I'm on like um uh infomercial or something. Um but yeah I grew But you did say it wrong. It's www dot. You had two W's. Okay, so three W's, you know what I'm saying. Dot groove dot O like out of office. Um and it's yeah, it's a good time. So I'm working on that. Um, I'm also, I love hosting parties. So outside of work, I have been hosting different gatherings in New York city. Um, I, I, I just love playing with intentionality and creating fun themes for events. I host picnics sometimes in the city for other community leaders. So if you're listening to this and you're like, gosh, I really want to jump into this space and, uh, be a part of something like that. Let me know. Um, the best way to reach me is on Twitter uh, at Hey Tay Hair, um, H A R at the end. It's like Hey Tay, but then that was already taken, so it's just Hey Tay Hair, like my last name. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what I'm working on. I do love posting on Medium. Uh, that's a fun place for me to write a little bit more, similar to what you were talking about. I do get similar questions around like, how do I host a great virtual event? Or how do I dive into the community space? And so I've written articles about that so that it does free up some of that time, like you mentioned, uh, rather than making time for all those coffee chats that I wish I could have in the world. Great. We'll also include links to that, to the show notes. Uh, So yeah, thanks, Taylor. This was fun. I'm so happy I got to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for putting this out there. I hope that uh, I hope everyone listening is curious about the world beyond social media and has some good nuggets to start dreaming up what they could transition to next if they're looking to do that. And that wraps another great interview here on Handing Over the Passwords. Remember, if you're eager to continue your exploration and dive deeper, be sure to check out my companion workbook, Exploring a Marketing Career in Social Media. It's available on Gumroad at the link in show notes, filled with valuable exercises, insights, and resources to guide you on your path. 
If you have any questions, feedback, or simply want to connect, you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Just grab my handles in the show notes. Special thanks to Mad Sounds Productions for helping to produce this podcast. <laughs>